Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better, because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Well, good evening and welcome to Practical Prepping Podcast. We appreciate you taking your time today to listen to the podcast, and we would certainly encourage you to press that subscribe button if you haven't already, and we would welcome your input and your comments at our website or in an email. It's good to have Krista with me today, my partner in podcasting and my partner in life. And she's been busy with a lot of the Thanksgiving things going on in the last few days. And have you recovered yet? A little bit. Yes, we all ate a little bit too much yesterday and had some great fun food and fellowship with the family. And we certainly hope that those of you that celebrate Thanksgiving had a wonderful time and that you had a a, a good, blessed day. We also want to wish you an upcoming very Merry Christmas and a very, very Happy New Year as we are entering into full-blown year-end holiday season. Now, today's podcast, we're talking about what we can learn from the Rittenhouse case. Now, we're not retrying this case. We're not arguing the merits of the case. We're not arguing the verdict. But there are some important lessons that we can learn and apply here as we go forward. Our sponsor today is Practical Prepping for Everyday People. It's a guide to help you as you begin your preparedness journey or if you want to take it to the next level. Chris, review the Rittenhouse case for those that may not be familiar with it very briefly. Yes, okay. So a young man, Kyle Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old white male, went to Kenosha, Wisconsin in August of 2020 during the riots that had already been taking place there for a couple of days. Um, He says that he went to provide some medical assistance and also to help protect a friend's business. Now, there are some indisputable facts about this case. One, we see videos that show him carrying a medical bag and asking if anyone needed medical assistance. We also have seen video that shows him walking with an AR-15 slung from his chest with his finger outside the trigger guard. Now, I will say that's good trigger control. If we're walking with a weapon, it needs to be outside the trigger guard. During the riot, Mr. Rittenhouse shot and killed two people and injured a third. Just to put a racial note on it, Kyle Rittenhouse is a white male, and all the three that he fired upon were also white males. Now, he was charged with a number of felonies, including two counts of intentional murder. He pled self-defense, and he was acquitted by the jury. So with that said, with that context, let's talk about a few things that we need to understand. One, poor judgment is not illegal. You know, that's a very profound statement. Uh, Poor judgment definitely is not illegal. But what was legal, Mark? Well, it was legal for him to be there. It was legal for him to have the rifle under Wisconsin law. And it was legal under Wisconsin law for him to be carrying that rifle. But for him to be involved was poor judgment, which is not illegal. And we're going to 
unwrap that a little further as we get into it. But I do want to point out that the media coverage and the public sentiments are always based on emotion, whereas the court testimony and the evidence that was presented are based on facts and law. And in that particular case, there was a great divide between what you saw if you were watching the trial versus what you learned if you were listening to the media. Let's take a break and hear from our sponsor, Practical Prepping for Everyday People, and we come back, we're going to see what we can learn from the Rittenhouse case. Preparedness is personal and it is practical. You decide what and how you want to prepare. You can prepare for three days, three months, three years. You can prepare for power outages, ice or snowstorms, wildfires, or even an attack of alien zombie frogs. It's completely up to you. But practical prepping for everyday people will help you on your journey. It's a guide to help you as you begin your preparedness journey, or for those of you that have been involved for a while and want to take it to the next level. This book, Practical Prepping for Everyday People, is available on Amazon, it's available on our website, or you can order it wherever books are sold. Practical Prepping for Everyday People. Get one for yourself or give several as gifts. Let's talk about a few things that we can learn from this. And the first that I would say is do not go into trouble. It is safest to not knowingly be in a dangerous area. For whatever the reason or whatever the motivation, Kyle Rittenhouse went to Kenosha. Yeah, this is one of those where you don't want to be getting in the car and going to look and see what's going on. You know, and I know a lot of people have some mixed feelings about what their involvement is. I know that for Mr. Rittenhouse, he had a a, a personal connection with a particular business. Was I, it his grandparents? I think, I think it was his grandparents that owned one of the businesses that he was there to protect. And we're not saying that that excuses, you know, it. I, we're still going back to our adage of don't knowingly put yourself in danger. If anything, we would want to advocate that you not go to danger. There can be some legitimate reasons that you might have to go into that area. And we're not against your right to protest or anybody's right to protest. We're not against anybody's right to protect their property or the property of friends and loved ones. But what we're saying here is if you have an option, do not go into trouble. Now, if you find yourself in an area when trouble starts, leave. Absolutely. If by all means possible, get yourself distanced from the danger. We did an episode a while back on what to do if you find yourself in a civil unrest and how to find your way through an angry mob, how to exit, and some considerations of things to do. And this comes back to situational awareness in terms of where you are when trouble breaks out. But you could find yourself walking out of your office building and there's a protest going on right outside your building. There's going to be a lot of different variables here, obviously. And so not every situation is going to be equal. And if, you've, if you're safe at home, stay at home. If you're in your office, if you're downtown, if you're shopping, if you're at school or work or otherwise, or you're just in a park minding your business and you find that trouble is ensuing, and that mobs of people are are gathering, 
it's still very good advice to just not be up in the fray of it and try to slip down the side streets and alleyways and anywhere you can to conceal yourself from being visible and get away. Yeah, and it involves situational awareness and making good decisions. Now, here's a good one that comes out of this. Don't attack an armed person unless you are in imminent danger. Now, there are times that it's the only option. And what I'm talking about here, we we used to see where there would be some robberies and they would lead the people back to the cooler, the employees, and even the patrons of the business, and they would be found in that cooler having been shot. Yeah. So if you're in a situation where you don't have a choice, then attack. Don't attack an armed person unless you are in an imminent danger. Kidnapping is a good example. I've told my family, and I've said over and over and over, do not be taken from a parking lot. If you are kidnapped and taken from a parking lot, you're likely to be found on a deserted road. So there's times like that when we know that the um, attacker will probably have a weapon and say, don't make any noise or whatever. You don't have to obey an attacker's demands. You know, if you can make a break for it and if you can run in a zigzag pattern and you can scream out, call 911, and, you know, at the possible worst, you may be nicked by a bullet or or completely missed by a knife, but at least you will have a fighting chance to be away from that person. And the likelihood is they're not going to want to follow after you. Probably not, but if you're going to get shot, I'd rather be shot in that parking lot and left laying in that parking lot than left laying on a deserted road somewhere because eventually somebody's going to come along and decide they want the parking spot where I'm laying and they're going to call for help, you know? Um, when you do have to make a judgment call on your situation. But this was not one of them. Now, Rittenhouse was chased. He was attacked with a skateboard, and he had a pistol pointed at him. And Rosenbaum and Huber were trying to kill him. And Grosskreutz admitted that he was advancing on Rittenhouse while pointing a gun at Rittenhouse when he was shot. So back to the point of don't attack an armed person unless you are in imminent danger. If you find yourself in a defensive shooting situation, exercise your right, get this, to keep silent. Explain this to us, Mark. Well, the prosecution in this case tried to make an issue of this. Kyle Rittenhouse and his mother were being interviewed, and they said that they would like to talk with an attorney beforehand And the prosecution tried to make an issue out of that, and the judge reminded them strongly that it's a constitutional right for us to remain silent. That falls under the Fifth Amendment in our Bill of Rights. Now, you're going to have to give certain information, name, address, phone number, things like that. But when it comes down to the what happened, here's a statement that I have been told time and time again is a good statement to adopt, and that is... I will cooperate fully, but right now I'm shook up, and I would like to consult with my attorney, and then I will gladly cooperate. You're not refusing to cooperate. You're just exercising your right to consult with your attorney before any questions are being asked. You know, that's a very important point because so often a 
uh, an authority figure of some kind may ask you, well, what happened or tell me what happened? And, you know, the innocent law-abiding citizen wants to feel very compliant with an authority who's asking you for this information. And And I will guarantee you that we will ask what happened. What happened. And so, but it is a, it is not evasive. It's not criminal for you to just simply say, if you're the one that has done the shooting and someone's been shot, you just simply state that you were, you will cooperate after you have consulted with your attorney. Right now you are upset your mind is clouded, you know, you just want to settle down, speak to an attorney, that is your constitutional right. I cannot stress that enough, that you don't want to say too much that you don't need to say, and you're not breaking any laws. In fact, you are actually living within the law when you say those things, and do act upon them. Stick to it. Give your name, give a phone number, you're, you're you going to have to give that biographical give, information. You're going to have to give that. But as far as an accounting of the story, you speak to your attorney first, seriously, because this can make all of the difference. And I think it also helped in the Rittenhouse case because they knew the law and they knew their rights under the law and they exercised their rights. And the prosecution had to kind of be beat back into the law. Right. Now, I will tell you this. If you are involved in a self-defense shooting, there is a very good possibility that you could be wearing handcuffs tonight. Oh, that's, yeah. That's, that can happen. Being detained with handcuffs is a completely normal procedure. Exactly. And you may even be arrested tonight. Don't get too upset about it. Do not. Get in touch with your attorney and then go from there. Yeah, being arrested is not the same as being put on trial. No. Plenty of people, innocent people, are detained or arrested with handcuffs, tripped to the station, and it has absolutely nothing to do with going to trial. And quite often, we will detain someone and we will transport them to our criminal division and they will be questioned and they'll be taken back home about half the time. Mm-hmm, exactly. So there's there's things you just need to know. If it's never happened to you, don't be fearful of that process. Right. Now, here's something else that we can draw from a lot of the media coverage and things that were said, is it's important to know all the facts before jumping to a conclusion. You know, from the president on down, there were some comments that were made that turned out to be factually incorrect. Mm -hmm. There were statements that were made by the mainstream media that, for example, that that Mr. Rittenhouse was indiscriminately firing into a mob of people. Well, that isn't at all true, not even close. But what happens a lot of times, politicians and especially the media, is they go with a narrative. How can we make this fit our narrative? Well, he was referred to as a murderer, a racist, and a white supremacist. That's interesting because the three that he shot in self-defense were white guys, and he was acquitted of that. Well, that's the thing is that that takes out the the racial component as far as it being a racial or a skin color issue, but that somehow that made it into the media. Well, I read in several accounts that Kyle Rittenhouse killed two black guys or shot three black guys. Totally, totally inaccurate. So you know what's going to happen now? 
I feel like there's going to be some defamation lawsuits on behalf of Mr. Rittenhouse, just like with Nick Sandman in uh, January of 2019, the young man that was, he was basically detained and accosted by uh, someone who was provoked and decided to sue Sandman. But it turns out that Sandman, the young high school student, was misrepresented in the media. And the full evidence that came out basically exonerated Mr. Sandman of any kind of things he was accused of. And defamation lawsuits uh, against some media outlets and celebrities and things ensued. And I'd say rightly so. I think, you know, they're with full within their rights to be able to sue for their uh, libel against their character. Yeah, he was wearing a red MAGA cap. He was there at the Indigenous Peoples Rally in Washington, D.C., And he was represented as intentionally trying to intimidate an elderly Native American man and suggested, and this was the representations, suggested that he was a racist. But the videos reveal that he was not the aggressor, but he was the one that was targeted. But all of the media coverage, or most of the media coverage at that particular time, went with the narrative that he was accosting, he was the intimidator of the elderly Native American man. Now, contrast that with the Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, which occurred this last week, or last weekend, I do believe. Daryl Brooks used an SUV to plow through the parade. And as of right now, six have been killed. The eight-year-old that was in critical condition has passed away. There were five dancing grannies and one, or there were four dancing grannies and one older gentleman. They they ranged from 52 to 81 years old. But now an eight-year-old has died from that as well. Over 40 more were injured. Close to 50. Close to 50. And here's some of the words that have been used in the mainstream media. Parade tragedy. Parade crash. Parade accident. But there are videos that show that he was barreling through the barricades. He didn't slow down. This was intentional. And some examination has shown that on his Facebook page, he was advocating violence against white people. So he has been charged with multiple counts of murder, and there is no way that this is an accident. It's very intentional. He went more than one-third of a mile down this parade route. So there's nothing accidental about where he turned or how he was traveling. An accident is when an older person has a stroke and runs into a crowd or has a medical situation and runs into a crowd. And in accidents, people are not charged with murder. Now, don't misrepresent what I'm saying there. In what we call traffic accidents, there are times that people are charged with murder, and that's because they were driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs. And again, those are not accidents, even though we refer to them as accidents. So one of the things that we need to understand is that we need to know all of the facts before jumping to conclusions. You know, there's a lot of narratives and news coverage that is spun according to the agency or even the individual reporter's views. 
For example, we'll just take this down the list. The left will use terms like a mostly peaceful protest. The right wing will say riots. The left will say a murderer or murder can, you know, has been committed. And we're speaking specifically of things that were used in this riot and in the Rittenhouse case. Right. Whereas at the right, we've got the term of self-defense, which that actually did come out in court. Mm-hmm. The left will say white supremacist or a racist. The right will say a patriot. The left will use a term like a vigilante. And they are suspe- they're especially using vigilante a lot to describe legal behaviors that are taking place. But in specifically in this, they're, they're depicting Rittenhouse as just like a one-man vigilante justice kind of thing, when in fact he was there as a protector. That was his motive. The left has used weapon of war to describe his AR-15. And that is commonly used in left-wing circles, anti-gun circles, is discuss the AR-15 as a weapon of war. And there's not a country on the face of the earth that uses the AR-15 as its primary battle rifle. Well, that's just, that's, you know, that's gun ignorance. Yeah, well, weapon ignorance. They use fully automatic, not semi-automatic. You know, they believe that the letters AR stand for assault rifle, which it does not. It stands for Armalite, which is the maker of the weapon. Mm -hmm. They'll say assault rifle, and Wright will say... It's a defensive rifle. It's actually used in a broad variety of common uses. It's the most popular sporting rifle in America right now, and it's just fun to shoot. Actually, it is. We have we have we have shot AR-15s many times. And you're pretty good with it. You know, we have to realize that every side, a right side, a center, a moderate, a, a left side, every side has a narrative. Let's just be honest. They do. But that's why we must get our news from a multiplicity of sources and analyze them carefully to discern the truth. You know, the truth does not get offended, but a lie never wants to be questioned. I kind of want you to think about that. Truth does not get offended, but lies do not want to be challenged. So that's, my, that's a good way to analyzing some of the information that you're receiving. Yeah, and we're working on an episode now on intelligence gathering from the media and even from social media. There are some good uses, believe it or not, for social media when it comes to gathering information. We're putting that episode together now, and it will be coming up pretty soon. You know, juries are charged by the judge to base their verdicts on the evidence and on the law not on the public opinion or the protests or the social media warfare that's going on out there. Or even what this verdict may mean to the community. Absolutely. You know, there were protesters on both sides outside Mm -hmm. of the Kenosha courthouse. And the judges do try to protect the jury from that outside influence. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, a juror was dismissed from this trial for some comments made inappropriately, wrong time, wrong place, totally disobeying the judge's orders for... And it uh, was a comment that was not made about this case, but was made about another case. And it was just inappropriate. And so the judge rightfully dismissed that particular juror. Right. A jury should only hear testimony and evidence. Yeah, the, the judge will send the jury out of the courtroom to hear certain arguments or to discuss certain legal points. And sometimes, and it was not in the Rittenhouse case, 
the juries are sequestered, which means they're put up in the hotel and they're kept away from all media coverage, from news coverage, or from outside influence. We know that jury verdicts should be based on evidence and law, not public opinion or protest. And it may be worth noting that the jury of peers that sat in the Rittenhouse case were of mixed ethnicities. Mm -hmm. This was not an all-one-race jury, and that needed to come out as well. Yeah, and and I have heard that it was an all-white jury, which it was not. Yeah, that's not the truth. It actually was a mixed ethnicities. And so that's good. That's that's a, a better point. That was not probably advertised as well because it didn't fit a certain narrative. You know, whether or not we agree with the verdict, the system works. Still the best system on the face of the earth. Recently, we've seen the verdict come in on the Armad Arbery trial. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you and I completely agree with that. I, I don't know of anyone who has disagreed with that verdict. We believe that based on the evidence and based on everything that was presented, that the jury arrived at the proper decision, and that was a murder conviction on those three gentlemen, which there does seem to be the racial component uh, a lot of aggravating components and elements to this case, and we, we agree as well. And I think everyone does agree with that. So, again, the system works. That's what the system is for. And and I think that was the correct verdict, and it has nothing to do with race. I don't care if it's black, white, or green. You know, the evidence showed a justification for a guilty verdict. That's a good point. It it it. it it's not a correct verdict because of ethnicity. It's a correct verdict because the law was broken and had to be satisfied. Exactly. Now, we saw the acquittal returned in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. And in that case, the evidence shows that it was self-defense. But now let's go back to the Eric Chauvin trial. And I think he was the one that was accused of murder with George Floyd. George Floyd. And I believe that the evidence supported that verdict. I believe okay? you're right, yes. And all three of those, I agree with the verdict. Now, you go back to the O.J. Simpson trial, and yeah, that was years that. ago, and there's a lot of opinion on it. Mm -hmm. And I personally believe that he committed those murders, but the jury system still worked. Apparently, it was not enough evidence to convince the jury beyond reasonable doubt that he was guilty of murder. I accept that verdict. We say that the system works, but is the system perfect? Absolutely not. Can there be mistakes? Absolutely. And recently, we've seen two that were accused of killing Malcolm X were exonerated. Right. We mm -hmm. saw one, and I forgot what state this one was in, but this is just in the last few days that he'd been in prison for 42 years and new evidence came up that exonerated him. Yeah, there's several movements out there to dig into cases where DNA was not a factor back mm -hmm. in the 60s or early 70s or whatnot. And they're finding that, sure enough, they, they actually are innocent of the crimes. Now, that's a rare thing. When you view the entire prison population in America, there are innocent people in prison, but it's rare. Most of the people mm -hmm. that are in prison have committed the crimes for which they were convicted and lawfully convicted, and they lawfully are serving the time that they are a judge to serve. Yeah, we don't want anyone to be convicted that's actually innocent, 
but we also want the system to work as it was designed, and it was actually designed to protect the innocent. And for the most part, it does. It does. Okay. Now, when we talk about trials, there are actually two types of trials. One is a trial before a judge. Just a judge. Just the judge. I testified in one of these two weeks ago, and there's not a jury, and they are simply hearing the case and making the judgment. Now, we see these usually in lower courts, municipal courts, and district courts. But you also see this in appellate courts. When a trial goes to an appellate court or even the Supreme Court, it is argued not in front of a jury, but in front of nothing but the judges or the justices. And so if you go to an appellate court, you may have three judges. You go to the Supreme Court, you have nine. But it's a trial in front of a judge, not a jury. So the second type of trial is a jury trial where we have a right to a jury of our peers. Right. And that's where they go through and they bring a jury pool, a pool of prospective jurors in, and each side gets to strike so many, and they narrow this down to 12 people. Now, in an extended case, they may have 15 or 20 now, that what actually— What they call a grand jury. Well, no, 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 oh. not a grand jury. Sorry. Grand jury is a totally different thing. That's 18 people that are deciding if there is enough evidence of probable cause to go forward with an indictment. I see. And it's been said that you can indict a ham sandwich because <laughs> it's only one side presented for the grand jury— and to see if there is probable cause there to go forward. Gotcha. But what we're talking about here is that jury is struck, and in a large case, they may have alternate jurors that listen to the entire case in case one gets sick and has to leave the jury, in case one does dumb things and gets thrown off of the jury, then we don't have to start over. We have other people there that have heard that. They're up to speed. And... If a trial is expected to last more than a day, a lot of times they'll put one extra alternate on there as well. That one does not necessarily deliberate, but they hear all of the evidence so that they can stand in. And in these cases, as in a trial just before a judge, the evidence and the testimony is presented. And the attorneys argue legal points. And then the judge sees that the rule of law is followed. That's part of his purpose in being on that bench. Yes, we noticed it in the Rittenhouse trial. The judge had to very soberly remind the prosecution of the prosecution's duty according to the law because they were straying away from the components that had been agreed upon regarding evidence. Mm -hmm. And uh, the judge was very stern. And another thing that he did in that, and rightfully so, because I went back and researched this law afterwards, in the earlier parts of the trial, I thought, well, they're going to have a hard time getting around, and it was a misdemeanor case of him having the rifle at 17 years old. Hmm. And when they quoted the statute, I went back and looked, and it it, it prevents anyone under 18 from having a short-barreled rifle, which means a rifle with a barrel under the length of 18 inches. Or one that had been tampered with? Well, if it had been cut off, it Mm -hmm. it specifically states a short-barrel rifle. Oh, I see. 
but it does allow anyone 16 or above to be able to have that rifle. So that was argued outside of the presence of the jury, and then the judge threw that particular charge out. Oh, of course, because, yeah. Because it, it, it fit it within the law. Exactly. It had no legs at that point. Exactly. So it, it had to throw it. Thankfully, we are tried by a jury of our peers, and they weigh evidence, they deliberate, and they reach a verdict. And if we are convicted, then we have the right to an appeal. And the appeal is not a retrial of all of the evidence. An appeal is actually looking at various points. You'll see a, an attorney, prosecution, or defense will raise an objection during the trial. And the judge will sustain or overrule that. And there are times that mistakes, can, I mean, judges are human. They can make mistakes as well. Mm -hmm. And so if the defense is convicted and believes that they should not have allowed such and such to happen, and it was objected to and overruled, and it went forward and was allowed in, then that is a point of appeal. So when it goes to the appellate court, they're appealing various motions, objections, etc., in the case, not the validity of the truth of that or not the strength or weakness of the evidence. Well, here's a question. So when your case goes to an appeal, let me back up. You've, you're then the defense. You're the defendant. You've now been convicted. You've been found guilty by the jury of your peers. You want to exercise your right to appeal. You get an appellate court date. When you apply for that appellate court date, you have to state your grounds for that appeal. Okay. So and what I you're saying is that something was allowed in my trial that should not have been, or, or something, something was, was not allowed, allowed that should have been. So you're not necessarily asking for the conviction to be overturned, but do convictions get overturned in appeal? Convictions get overturned, that does not mean that it moves from a guilty to a not guilty. That means that you are correct in appealing this. Now we need to send this back to the lower court to decide whether to retry you with or without this evidence. Oh. An example here might be tainted evidence, okay? Evidence that was obtained by an illegal search. It can happen. There are searches that are deemed illegal. Even when they were carried out in good faith, they can actually, if you don't go by, if we don't go by the law, then we should not be able to enter that evidence. I guess what you're talking about, for example, if you're saying that you have a search warrant for someone's house, but you happen to go into their car while you're there, the evidence you find in their car is not admissible. Is not admissible. You don't have permission mm -hmm. or a warrant to search the car. So even if, you're, even if all of your evidence is in the car, you can't now say, well, it was in his driveway. That's right. still not their that, house. They're that's not covered by the search warrant. Exactly. Now, there may be some situations, and, and there are some exemptions to the requirements. and you know, it's Well, that's there. where you're getting into the fine, the fine grass on that. Exactly. And there's ways to work it within the law. Yeah. Now, the way the search warrant's written as well has a lot to do with it. 
Now, let's say that we write a search warrant to go into your house to search for stolen refrigerators, okay? Mm -hmm. We're looking for stolen refrigerators or stolen lawnmowers. Can you check inside of a drawer? Not for either of those two things. No. So you can't be opening drawers. Not if you're searching for refrigerators. Yeah, if you're very specific about what you're searching for. And you have to be specific in your search warrant of the items that you are looking for. Gotcha. Now, if you were, say, searching a garage for lawnmowers, if I'm writing the warrant, I'm going to include lawnmower parts because lawnmowers could be stolen and and they could be taken apart and those parts sold. So now I'm down to being able to search a drawer because it could contain a carburetor from a small engine. Or a ring, a washer, a bolt, a key, a flange, you know, yeah. just any component. If, if it's a component of that lawnmower, if you have written it for lawnmowers or parts of lawnmowers, then you could do that. Then you can rightfully open up a drawer, exactly. open a door, pull something out that a part could be in. Now let's go back to searching for refrigerators. We have a search warrant to go into your house and search for refrigerators. One of our officers gets some suspicion and opens a drawer and finds the gun that was used last night in a murder down the street. Oh boy. That's an illegal search. You can't, I mean. So we go to court and we present that gun and the judge allows it wrongly, and then on appeal, they say that this gun was the fruit of an illegal search, and the appellate court will say, you're right, send it back to the lower court to be tried, and you cannot enter this gun as evidence. So that would actually, if you're if you're building a case for the murder that took place last night, you've basically blown your case. Very well. Even though, in your heart, you know, you you get that sense that I know for I know in my heart this happened, mm-hmm. but the law it actually is written for our protection. Exactly, and, and it may look like it's protecting bad guys. It really isn't written to protect bad guys. It's written to protect you from being accused of something wrong you did not do or convicted of something. Right. Okay? Exactly. Now, here's the thing that. That gets me. We've heard for years that he was tried for murder and he got off on a technicality. Mm -hmm. We hear about that and we think that, you know, we ought to do away with all these technicalities. Well, the technicality that they got off on was that the officer or officers or attorneys did not do things the right way. It's a case where the the fault lies with the investigation, not the not the accused. Right. But in how they were handled. Exactly. And there are times that guilty folks walk after having been acquitted of crimes for which they were guilty, but they're acquitted because the prosecution didn't do it the right way or whatever. And there's a very good example of that in an older movie with Al Pacino, and it's called And Justice for All. Mm -hmm. This is where... Everybody in the room knew that the guy on the stand was as guilty as guilty could be. The judge knew it. The lawyers knew it. Everybody everybody knew it. But there was a technicality, and the judge was just sick about it, but he had to follow the law. Exactly. And he let this bad guy go because 
And, and of course, if you keep watching the movie, you find out that justice will get served. Mm -hmm. But that does happen, and that's why it's very important for the police to do their job right, for the attorneys to do their job right, for the judges to do their job right. Everybody's got to act within the law in order for it to turn out in a way that makes the system work. And there are a lot of landmark cases, and let's just go back to Miranda. You've heard of the Miranda rights. Mm -hmm. I think it was Miranda versus Arizona. And after that case went to the Supreme Court, they argued that he was not told his rights under the law. Mm -hmm. And they questioned him. And from that point on, we have had to use the Miranda warning. And that's a lot of cases are named after that person, like we talk about a Terry stop that comes from Terry versus Ohio in when we can and how we can stop someone on the road, someone in an area, someone that we suspect might be committing something. And there are rules under those court precedents that say what we can do and how we will do those things. You know, we've got listeners in over 80 countries around the mm -hmm. world could you just briefly, you should know this because you're a law enforcement officer, what exactly are the Miranda rights when you're arresting someone and you're going to, they actually even call it Mirandize. Did you Mirandize this You person? can Mirandize them or you can read them their Miranda rights. Right, now, and that, what does that mean? When I do this, I pull a card out and I read it. I read it to them so that I never miss a word. That's a very good And point. then before we have their statement, their written statement, we read those rights to them again, and they sign off that they understand those rights. I see. But this is the one that says you have the right to remain silent. If you choose to talk with me, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to talk with an attorney before any questioning. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed before any questioning. And then that's what we're talking about, Miranda rights. You, you've heard yeah. that. You've seen it read. And it, it's a good thing. It is. You know, it really underscores what we hit on earlier on in the podcast. You have the right to remain silent. Mm -hmm. And I would say use it. I would say use that right. When you're 100% in the right, you've been involved in something that's very dire that involves getting law enforcement in included. You have the right to remain silent. I'm talking to our American listeners, mm -hmm. of course. You have the right to remain silent. You can indicate that you are, intend to cooperate. You know, you can say, I intend to cooperate, but right now, I want to consult with my attorney, and that's also in the Miranda rights. You have the right to legal counsel. Mm -hmm. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be assigned to you, public defender. So there's there's a lot more there than I think a lot of us realize. We, we hear that when we see the movies and TV shows about the Miranda rights, but a lot of times we never realize we might actually be in that position Mm -hmm. ourselves, where we're hearing a law enforcement officer say to us, you have the right to remain silent. I believe you could still give them your name and pertinent information like that. You're required, You're required to identify to... yourself in certain situations. Right. The, the right to remain silent does not mean that you absolutely close your mouth and say nothing. If the officer asks you your information, your name, your address, your phone, mm -hmm. give it. And give it in such a way that you're indicating, I am cooperating with mm -hmm. you. 
that say nothing more about what's happened until a lawyer has counseled you. The statement that I said that you could make after a self-defense shooting is that I fully intend to cooperate with you, but I'm shook up right now and I'd like to talk with my attorney before we go any further with questioning. Exactly. You don't have to say that statement. You can say, I want to talk to my attorney first. Right. You can just leave it there. The sta- You can. Yeah. And they have to not question you in reference to the case. Now, they can still get that biographical information, uh-huh. stuff like that. But it goes down better if you say, I fully intend to cooperate, but I want to talk with my attorney first, rather than just, as we say, lawyering up. Well, a lot of times, too, if you're speaking to a uniformed deputy or officer, your words and, and your your, vis- your image is being on captured on body cam. So there, oh, yeah. there's even a video evidence of what you have and have not said. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and that can be admitted and often is admitted into court. Absolutely. So be careful what you say. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we've chased a rabbit here for a little bit and talking about the different types of trials, but whether we agree with the verdict, whether we agree with the system, is still the best system, in my opinion, on the face of the earth. I would rather be in the American justice system than pretty much just about any other mm-hmm. country. There, there's some countries on this. Well, mm-hmm. I don't want to be in any jail, to be honest, <laughs> but you know, because I've been inside those things. But uh, you've got better conditions in American jails than you do in a lot of other jails. Well, let's but, just hope you never have to find I, out. <laughs> I hope not. But anyway. We'd love to hear your comments. We would love to hear your suggestions. We'd love to hear your experiences. And we won't put things on the podcast unless you give us permission. We certainly won't name you without your permission. But we ask you to drop us an email. Drop us an email. Tell us what your experiences are with the criminal justice system. Did it work for you or did it not work for you? And we would just love to hear your feedback on the podcast. We're excited about some things that are coming. We're excited about some guests that we have lined up to come on to the podcast. You want to tell them who our next one is? Well, we're pretty excited. Our next guest is Bob Griswold. A lot of our podcast listeners are very familiar with Bob Griswold, and then others of you have never heard of Bob. He's a fascinating and entirely engaging person. We have met him personally. We have chatted with him. There's a lot of things he's going to share, so he's going to be our next guest, and you just tune in because I'm very, very excited to get an opportunity to talk to probably one of the most premier survival experts on the planet. That and Bob founded 25 years ago, 19 19- 1996, he founded Ready Made Resources, and that company has grown and grown and grown and provides just about anything that you need in the prepper community. But we'll give you more information on that, and then we're not going to tell you quite yet, but we've got a real big surprise coming for after the first of the year, mm-hmm. and we're excited about that as well. Anything else you want to share? Well, we just feel like as practical preppers that it's important to know a lot of times where our legal footing is. You know, we prep our food, we prep our water, we prep our ammo, we prep our clothing. We also need to prep ourselves as citizens to know and understand our laws and our rights, because that's just as important, I think, as anything else. So be aware Keep a constant vigil on your rights. Know what your rights are. Cooperate with law enforcement. 
if you're stopped, if your traffic stopped, always cooperate and comply. That's all they're asking for is your compliance and respectfulness. We're talking about some of this, and we said earlier that it's not illegal to exercise poor judgment. That's true. Um, and the problem is the poor judgment is going to lead some people into some illegalities. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that comes with don't go into trouble. You've got right. a right to go there, but it's probably not a good idea. Yeah, it, so, you, you may have the freedom, but you may you you also need the wisdom, right? To know how to make good choices. Sometimes, just because it's legal, does not make it the right thing to do at that time for you. And Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next time. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. Hopefully, you've learned something, picked up a tip, or something we said may have triggered a thought that'll help you in your prepping journey. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode and share it with your friends and family. And remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.